My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 69, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 19 and 20, Deuteronomy 19 and 20, and Psalms 101. Numbers 19, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defection or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eleazar the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eleazar the priest is to take some of its blood on his fingers and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches, the heifer is to be burned, its hide, flesh, blood, and intestines. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wood and throw them onto the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean till evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothing, and he too will be unclean till evening. This will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the foreigners residing among them. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh day, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them. They are unclean. Their uncleanness remains on them. This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. And every open container without a lid fastened on it will be unclean. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. For the unclean person, put some ashes from the burnt purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and the people who were there. He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or anyone who has been killed or anyone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle those who are unclean on the third and seventh day, and on the seventh day he is to purify them. Those who are being cleansed must wash their clothing and bathe with water, and that evening they will be clean. But if those who are unclean do not purify themselves, they must be cut off from the community, because they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, and they are unclean. This is a lasting ordinance for them. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing must also wash his clothes, and anyone who touches the water of cleansing will be unclean till evening. Anything that is unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. 
chapter 20. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink." Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring your water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as a holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come on us. Our ancestors went down into Egypt, and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our ancestors. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, You may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelite replied, We will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again, they answered, You may not pass through. Then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful army. Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. The whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. At Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites, because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son, Eleazar, and take them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son, Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, all the Israelites mourned for him thirty days. Deuteronomy 19 When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Determine the distance involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. 
Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice after a forethought. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and he swings his axe to fell a tree. The head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbor without malice, a forethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he promises on oath to your ancestors and gives you the whole land he promised them, because you carefully follow all these laws I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk always in obedience to him, then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood, so that it may go well with you. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess." One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes a stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in the office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witnesses proves to be a liar giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, They do the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Chapter 20 When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Here, Israel, today you are going into the battle against your enemy. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The officer shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else may begin to live in it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Then the officer shall add, Is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to that city. When the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, put the sword 
all the men in it. And for the women and children, the livestock and everything else in the city, you may take them as plunder for yourselves. And you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hizzites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them. Because you can eat their fruit, do not cut them down. Are the trees people that you should besiege them? However, you may cut down trees that you know are not fruit trees and use them to build siege works until the city at war with you falls. Psalm 101 I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord." In Numbers 19, we are reading about sacrificial blood and bathing in water. Yes, in this story, it is a flawless heifer that works towards the atonement of sin, and water is a representative external cleansing. Adrian Reynolds emphasizes the importance of differentiating between sacrifice of blood for atonement and purity or clean rituals related to water. A purity or cleanliness ritual does not have to do with sin, whereas a blood sacrifice does. I get this sense of what is coming where Jesus is the final and ultimate blameless and flawless atonement for our sin. And for me, the water and cleansing reminds me of the baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell with us as an advocate and counselor. I think of the point of cleanliness and purity laws in these Old Testament stories and how it's about setting apart and making something holy because God is holy and life itself. And anything related to death is the opposite of him. But I'm also reminded of Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10, where we're reminded that the Lord can bring dry bones to life with a word, with his breath, meaning there's nothing inherently sinful or evil about a dead body. But without the intervention of the Lord to bring it to life, it represents what he is not, death. Numbers 20, we read that Miriam, Moses, and Aaron's sister dies and is buried. She's a special person in God's story for me anyway. She's the first named female prophet by Moses, but not the first woman God talked to. He spoke to Eve, Sarah, Hagar, and Rebekah just this far in the story. Here in this story, Miriam played a formative role alongside their mother in rescuing the rescuer, i.e. Moses, when he was a baby and was called a prophet by her brother Moses in Exodus 15 as she led the women in a song of worship to God after he rescued them all in the Sea of Reeds. 
And then the story moves to this important scene where the Israelites grumble again and wish that they were back in slavery and Moses and Aaron together intercede on their behalf. In a similar pattern, Moses is given by God a way to provide for the people. In this case, they were thirsty. Adrian Reynolds' commentary reminds me how, in Exodus 15, Moses threw a piece of wood into bitter water to make it drinkable. Then, in Exodus 17, Moses struck the rock. But here, Moses was told by God to take the staff, and Moses was to tell the rock here to yield the water. But instead, Moses hit it twice. Ugh, it almost feels like an echo back to when Moses was young and saw the Hebrew slave being beaten by the Egyptian slave master. Moses' anger may have been justified, but his action to kill him and hide him may not have been the right response. Similarly here, it's not that Moses could not have struck the rock as he'd done this before. But in verse 20, in chapter 20, verse 12, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, then you will not lead the people. They will not go, you will not go into the promised land with them. We know God loves Moses. In the New Testament, in Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus with Peter, James, and John as a witness. Moses is with Jesus because God is merciful. But he's also just, and Moses would not be going forward any further in leadership into the promised land because he didn't honor and trust the Lord's leadership in front of everyone. We also read about Aaron's death. He was also told he would not be going to the promised land, and his son Eleazar was to be the next priest. I think I got ahead of myself in yesterday's commentary where I talked about Deuteronomy 19, but there's a distinction being made in that story between accidental and intentional murder. There is refuge or sanctuary given in the case of accidental killing, but not intentional murder. I'm not sure how this would specifically map on to U.S. laws about manslaughter, first and second degree murder, but this story also talks about a coming before God, the priest, and the judge, and a judge performing thorough investigation, and there must be more than one witness, two or three, and there are serious ramifications for false witnesses. So it's the system of checks and balances, due diligence and accountability, which are being elevated as important in the process of creating something that is just according to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 20, Dr. Gary Miller's commentary reminds me of one of my favorite verses, Exodus 14, 14, where if we are only to stand still, God will fight for us. He reminds me that the fights of Israel against Canaanites require total victory, but they're always the underdog, and the only reason for a win is on account of God. He is strong when we are weak. It is Him that is being put on display. Dr. Gary Miller also makes this contrast between the verses and practices of totally ending the evil and dangerous practices of the six nations, which largely make up the Canaanites, compared to other types of wars the Israelites may engage in, where the described approach to going to war is different. It starts with an offer of peace. Offer terms of peace. If accepted, make the people their subjects, and if not, lay siege to the city. Then kill the males, and Dr. Miller qualifies this as the soldiers, but no one else. Take everyone and everything else into your new economy. There is a note about not cutting down trees, which may be about future food provisions in a practical sense. It may be a note that vengeance against creation that's not accountable to God for sin is inappropriate, or it may be an echo back to the ongoing role of God's people and reminding of them of their creation care obligations. 
There is also this incredibly generous God in this story that is just its so distinct because, you know, as an American, I, I grew up in a different kind of thinking related to this. Here it's being said that when you are going to war with another nation, if there are those men who would become soldiers who would otherwise, they have new homes or they've just planted crops or they're newly married or they're even faint hearted and they, they're allowed and they should be allowed, it says, to go home. And it also helps the whole group not to become disheartened. And then commanding leaders are to be established by the officers. And I just think that's a really interesting thing that was going on in that time. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.